sometimes I've been asked the question of like, why write about difficult things for kids? And my answer is sort of like, why not? And welcome to The Reader's Heart, a podcast of conversations with authors and illustrators about children's literature as a vehicle for empathy and joy in a dark world. The Reader's Heart is rooted in the belief that our world needs the magic of children's literature now more than ever. So let's get started. This week, my guest is Sarah Everett, who is the author of one of the most talked about books of 2023, The Probability of Everything. In addition to probability, Sarah is also the author of several other books for teens, including the forthcoming The Shape of Lost Things, which is due in October of 2024, but can be pre-ordered right now. Now, y'all, I am not exaggerating when I say that I feel like I spent a good part of 2023 explaining to people that although Sarah is deserving of every honor we can toss at her, the probability of everything isn't actually eligible for U.S.-based youth media awards like the Newberry because she's from Canada. But those conversations were not only a representation of just how powerful Sarah's work is, but they also made me all the more excited when Sarah said yes to chatting with me today. That said, be sure to stay tuned after this episode for information about how to connect with Sarah, as well as a discount code for purchasing her books from our friends at Bookalicious. Plus, I'll post the cover image for Sarah's new book, The Shape of Lost Things, which, spoiler alert, is gorgeous. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me. It is such a thrill to have you as part of The Reader's Heart. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for having me here. This is going to be a fun conversation because, of course, like so many other people, The Probability of Everything was one of my very favorite books last year, and I can't wait for us to talk about it, but I thought we might start first by making some connections to The Reader's Heart, which is, of course, the title of this podcast, but also I think it's, for me, a fascinating way to think about how stories connect us. And so mm-hmm. I wondered if you might chat a little bit about who you are as a reader and get us started with that. Yes. Um, so I don't know how much um, people know about like my background, but I, I'm i a Canadian author, but I moved around a lot as a kid, um, lived in five or six different countries um, before I was um, 15. And it was a really interesting formative experience but I think the thing that stayed constant in all those moves was books I got to carry around books from check them out from libraries when we were in a new town or um, go to the bookstore with my parents and um, just that opportunity to connect with other kids my age when I wasn't necessarily always around them that was life-saving like it it was something that really both opened up my eyes to what other people were experiencing, but it also made me feel seen and like I wasn't alone. Yeah, to me, that's what the reader's heart is about. Just those books that make you 
connect with other people. Gosh, I can so relate to that. I was a very transient kid myself, Mm -hmm. maybe for different reasons. My family was super poor. And so we were just bumping from, you know, house to house when the rent came due, that kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. I absolutely relate to how books became a constant in my life in the same way that you talked about. Are there any titles or that you can remember that still hold a place in your heart from that time? Um, So the one I always bring up is Charlotte's Web. Um, I love that book. I like, I think I loved it as a reader, but it also sort of shaped me as a writer because it was the first time I realized that books could have like these complex, bittersweet endings. Um, I remember not to spoil anything, but when the ending happened as it happened, I was, I was shocked. I was like, people can do that. Like can write like that. And um, it doesn't have to have like a happy ending that really formed me as a writer. Cause I was like, Oh, it's okay to have the realistic sort of bittersweet ending sometimes. Right. That book is in so many ways is super respectful to kids in that way, Mm. in that, you know, it really is held up by this idea that we kids can face tough things if they're presented in the right way. And if that the story, I think, relies on that idea of connection that we can deal with tough stuff, but we just have to do it together. Right. Yes. Um, I think that that for me was also the thing that I really loved about Charlotte's Web as a kid was I felt like it wasn't talking down to me. It wasn't, it wasn't telling me what I should think or kind of like sometimes books sort of lead you in a direction. And I never felt that way when I was reading Charlotte's Web. I also, I read a lot of, um, E.B. White's other books like Stuart Little and um, I really liked uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. A lot of Enid Blyton. I don't know if you, she's more of a UK author, but yeah, um, yeah, I I read a lot of her books um, like Famous Five, Secret Seven, read some Nancy Drew. Yeah, I I read a little bit of everything growing up. I love that. I feel like I'm having my mind blown right now a little bit because I, in in my work as a teacher, librarian, and so on, one of the things I talk about a lot is the power of the read aloud, the experience of reading aloud to kids of all ages. And this last year, I've been talking a lot about the probability of everything and what an amazing read aloud it would be. But of course... Like my formative read aloud experience is one of the books I had read to me in school. The first, one of the first books I remember that sort of communal read aloud experience was Charlotte's Web. Mm-hmm. And so this like drawing of the connection between those two books is blowing my mind right now. I bet a lot of kids will get to experience your book through a read aloud in school. And that just feels really cool to me. Yeah, it feels really cool to me too. <laughs> um, I think that like, because I'm obviously not an educator, I don't necessarily necessarily always think about the context in which they're going to be shared with kids. Like I sort of imagine, oh, a kid goes into a library, picks up a book, goes through a bookstore. But that concept of the read aloud, like I'm thinking back to my childhood, those books were amazing because you could talk about them with your friends afterwards. You got to hear how words sounded, how the like the rhythm of the book and things like that. So I think read alouds are so important and so 
So lovely. Me too. Well, one thing all those books that you mentioned had in common, at least the ones that I know, is that, you know, there wasn't a lot of diversity in those books. They Mm. were full of a lot of white characters, cisgendered characters, as books written at that time were. I mean, I don't, I think I'm a little bit older than you, but I imagine that some of our childhood reading experiences are similar in terms of the books. And so, your books do some of the same things that those titles did so well, which is focus on connection and teach us about how to navigate, you know, some of the, or a way of navigating some of the tough things in life that kids face, but in a way that's inclusive and that tackles some of the problems that we as a species as and as adults we're grappling with. So mm-hmm. at this point, I want to just say spoiler alert for those who have not read The Probability of Everything. Now's the time to pause and go correct that error because <laughs> I'm go- we're going to spoil it a little bit. You know, we're going to talk okay. about some of the things that are in there. But you're, you know, The Probability of Everything does that while also tackling things like hate crimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and racism and death. I mean, these are heavy topics for kids to carry. So I wonder if you just might talk about maybe why it was important for you to write this book and what you thought about in terms of how you were going to share that story with kids in a way that helped them lift it up. Um, So I think that, you know, sometimes I've been asked the question of like, why write about difficult things for kids? And my answer is sort of like, why not? Because it's it's very much part of the experience. Nobody is protecting kids from death or, you know, the loss or sickness of a friend or a loved one. Um, even something like a pet dying. Those kinds of things are, are huge, like forming experiences for kids and they have questions and they have their things that they don't necessarily understand or can't express and I think books give them a way to sort of do that they give you a context to be able to have those conversations with your parents or the educators in your life and I think also more than anything books definitely give that vocabulary for for expressing what you feel So um, even the idea of sometimes you don't know what something that you're feeling is and to read a character go through that. Like, for example, I was thinking of um, Tay Keller's The Science of Breakable Things. I love that book. Yes, I love everything (laughs) Tay Keller does. Yes, yes, yes. yes. She's amazing. Um, And I I don't remember if she quite uses the word depression that her um, her mother is going through, but something like that where you can relate to oh this is what my mom is going through and I didn't know there was a word for it and I didn't really understand why it was happening or why she was behaving the way she was or why I felt sad or just that ability to sort of contextualize your experiences as a kid is so so helpful and it's so it's such a um a gift to readers to give them the space where they can where they can understand and process and um, and communicate their feelings. So for you as a writer, when you're thinking, you know, when you're tackling a book, I guess for I guess the question I'm trying to get at, which, you know, 
I have a million questions for you. So one of the questions I wonder about is when you're approaching a story, are you just thinking, oh gosh, this is a story I want to tell? Or is there a character that starts to speak to you? Or are you always thinking about the readers on the other end? Like how does that process work for you? So my process with middle grade versus um, other books that I've written, I've written for teens as well. I think middle grade has been different for me because oftentimes I'm not always thinking about the reader as a when I'm writing for older for older people Um, and I think that's just because you don't want to uh, superimpose yourself on this characters or the story but with uh, with middle grade I like to think about what might be going through my reader's mind and where might they be coming from what would they understand about the world and what what might they find interesting or you know yeah like I I sort of think more about the reader when I write for middle grade um and I forgot the second part of your question no that was it that was really it like where you know where does it all begin for you like do you Mm -hmm. just think about that like it, I, I know authors hate this question, like, where do you get your ideas? And that's not really <laughs> the question I'm asking so much yeah. as just, you know, a, a story that's complex, like mm. the probability of everything. Does that come out of your desire to tell a story that uh, explores and helps kids unpack things like hate crimes or mm. unpack things like death? Or is it more just you start to imagine a character and they tell you the story? Like, how does that work for you? Yeah, so with this book, the theme sort of came to me before um, anything else. Like I knew I wanted to tell this story that was about grief and with this metaphor of grief um, as a sort of catastrophic, life-changing event that you can't sort of escape. So I wanted to tell that story, but I didn't feel ready to write it until um, Kemi, the character sort of popped into my mind. And she was, she came fully formed. It was like, okay, I'm a scientist. I'm 11. I have this younger sister. She was very much, she was very loud in my head. And once I had her character, I was like, okay, I know what the story is. And I sat down and started writing. I love that so much. I love that origin story about the idea that you know you want to tell a story about this thing, but you need this character to form who who's ready to tell that story because not everybody can tell that story. Kemi was perfect for it, though. So yeah. that is amazing. The way does that happen for in that way for most of your books, or was that an anomaly? I think that was more of an anomaly. Um, I mean, I have had characters sort of come to my mind before, like before the rest of the book kind of comes to my mind. But Kemi's voice was so unique and so connected to the story that I was trying to tell that there was no way I could have one without the other. Whereas sometimes you feel like you can take a character, move them into a different scenario, different situation, and maybe they'll act differently or whatever. But with Kemi, it was like, no, this is my story. This is what has to happen. And this is the journey that she's going to go through. 
Now, I'm realizing as we're chatting that we're kind of having a conversation as if, you know, we're just BFFs chatting over, you know, the writing process or whatever. Uh, I want to make sure that for those listeners who maybe have not read Probability, that they get a sense of what that book is about. Do you mind just giving the, you know, 30-second book talk version that I'm sure you've shared a thousand (laughs) times at this point for those listeners who haven't read it? Of course. Um, So my little spiel that I give is that Probability is about 11-year-old Kemi. She loves science. She loves math. She loves probability. Unfortunately, a giant asteroid is headed to Earth, and um, she decides to go on this mission to make sure that her family is going to be remembered by um, whoever comes after them. And that's really what the book is about. She's collecting this time capsule, trying to sort of save up and record the important things about the people she loves. And it's also like when I book talk the book, I always have to say then I have to stop there because anything else I tell you will spoil it because it's such a masterful mystery in the sense that I just imagine so many readers getting to the end or near the end of that book and thinking, what just happened? And do I, and having to start all over again in terms of looking for the clues they missed, you know, like I know that was my experience going, I need to go back and look for clues now. Did you know all along it was going to be a mystery in that way? Or did, you know, when that idea came to you, you have to been just like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Like you had to know this was (laughs) a good thing. I honestly, I wasn't sure how it was going to be received, but I knew that it was a challenge that I wanted for myself. Um, I definitely had this, like I said, this metaphor for, for grief and I knew that in order to sort of tell the story of, um, of sort of the the blindsiding nature of great of grief, the the magnitude of it, the surprise, the sort of those elements that just feel um, hard to wrap your mind around. I felt like in order to do that, um, the element of surprise and mystery was going to be important. So I kind of knew right away that it had to unfold the way it did, and then the actual process of making everything make sense and go back and like make sure that you all the threads are following through and things like that. Um, that was a, a little more complicated, but it was also fun. <laughs> oh, and it's just so well done. I mean, everyone I know who's read that book is just like the two words, mind blown every single time. You must get that feedback from more than just, you know, nerdy adults like me who love Kidlet. Like, have you had the opportunity to engage with any of your readers, you know, through school visits or other things? And can you talk a little bit about what their reactions have been? Yeah. So, um, it's funny, the um, the book came out in the summer last year. And so for the first little while, it was just like adults who were coming up and saying, oh, I love this book, or I read it with my kids, or, but I wasn't really hearing directly from kids. Um, now that it's been a little bit longer, and we're deeply into the school year, there's been much more feedback from kids saying like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I was so shocked. I went back to the start and started again and things like that. Like, um, and a lot of it, like a, a lot of the reaction is similar to adults as well. But there's an extra element of like excitement that kids feel, or at least that they convey when they're telling you how they felt about a story. I, yeah, I love getting um, notes and different like messages. 
I have to I believe that that is the fuel or at least some of the fuel that keeps you going on days when it's hard to get a word on the page, you know, yeah. just remembering those conversations with kids. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I reader feedback is definitely when you can't see anything any further ahead, you kind of have to look even further ahead and and think about like where am I trying to go? Who am I trying to reach with this? And who do I who do I hope the story is for? And that can really help me sort of focus on what I'm writing and and on the art itself rather than, you know, how is it going to be received and like, am I doing a good job and things like that? If I just think about who I want to find this book, it's it's much easier and it's also much more rewarding. I, you know, as I as you were talking, I kept thinking about how woven within this story that is about grief is also, you know, the way in which the person in Kemi's life who dies was killed. There's mm-hmm. a very specific, um, I'm trying so hard not to spoil it, but I get, don't think I'm going to be able to not, you know, mm-hmm. Kemi's dad is murdered by mm-hmm. a neighbor who is racist and who harasses them for a long time prior to um, killing him. And I wonder, I mean, I guess, I don't know, like, if there's even really a question here, except that I keep thinking about how children's literature and the creators of children's literature make this art that help us sort of see pathways to dealing with some of these issues that we are finding so hard to fix. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if for you as an author, if it's cathartic in some way for you to just work through it, or are you hoping that your books will spark conversation that's so necessary during this time. Yeah, there definitely is the hope. I mean, absolutely, I'm working through it myself. And I'm sort of on this journey processing myself. But there, there is with a book like this, there is the hope that if anything, people ask questions, and they want to discuss this with their neighbors and their friends and their families, because racial violence in general is a big issue and one that has sort of resurfaced again in more recent years. But also just the ideas around racism and um, and about race in general, I think that those topics can be very hard to talk about. They can be hard to bring up. They can be hard to sort of navigate. And sometimes you have having a book that you can talk about can um, sort of bring everybody into the same, I don't know, ground. You know, everybody sort of comes at it from their different angles, but we're all talking about the same thing. We're all focused on a particular arena. And I think that makes it a little easier to have those conversations. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think you're exactly right. The book also gives us a way to talk about something in almost a third person way before it feels safe to talk about it in a first person way. Exactly. You know, yeah, we can talk about Kemi and her family and her experiences before we feel safe to talk about our own feelings and experience. Mm-hmm. It gives us yes. sort of a bridge, which is so, so powerful, which kind of like relates to another question I wanted to ask you, or at least something I wanted to bring up was that one of the ways or an important way that Kemi 
navigates her own grief is through her family. She has a supportive family and friends. I loved so many of the secondary characters in your book. I loved Kemi's mom. I loved all of her extended cousins. And even though I'm blanking right now on her best friend's name, can you remind me what her best friend's name is? Dia. Dia, that's it. Thank you yes. so much. I keep wanting to call her Daria. Um, but I love the way Kemi's family gives Kemi the space and her friends give her the space to navigate what she's going through while always being there to pick her up when she eventually needs them you know, to catch her. Mm -hmm. And I wondered just, I guess, I mean, number one, I'm hoping you're going to write a book that is about Dia, first of all. So I'm just (laughs) going to plant that seed, make that happen. Um, But second, I just wondered about like the secondary characters in the book. Um, Was why was it important to you to make sure that those folks were as supportive, I guess, as they were to Kemi? That's a good question. Some of it is, is wanting to show that that's possible that there are ways that your family and friends can support you in a healthy, loving way that is also that is also realistic. I think showing that was important because we're talking about difficult things. Um, we're talking about grief and we're talking about uh, racism and, and hate crimes. There's this sense that everything about it is gloomy or everything about it is dark. And I think it's important that there are still glimmers of hope. There is still the possibility of good things like community and love between family members. And I think that that was really important to me because it's it's realistic. Like it might not be in every situation where, where racial violence occurs that the family is supportive or um, as loving as Kemi's family, but there are instances where that is true or that is possible, and um, that that story is worth telling as well. Yeah, and sometimes you know it's through the darkness that we find light, maybe we didn't recognize before too. Mm. You know, like exactly, it's it's an unintended consequence of it, or you know, I, I hate to use the phrase silver lining in a situation like what Kemi goes through, there's not really silver linings, but there is this connection, a deeper connection to her family that it strengthened an already strengthened an already strong family through mm-hmm. what they went through. Right. Yeah. I love that. So, you know, I feel like we've been talking now for just about 30 minutes and I want to make sure I let you get back to writing the books that we need so much right now. But before we go, I wonder if, is there anything you can tell us about uh, what's coming up, what we can expect from you next, or is it all top secret at this point? Oh, I can talk about, um, I have another book, another middle grade that's coming out in uh, November and it is, um, it's about a girl and her brother, and it's very much a family story, similar to probability in that way. It's a book that hopefully has heart and is um, about both the good and the bad parts of, of living in a family unit. And um, it's about change, and it's about growing up, and I hope that it appeals to the fans of probability. When is it coming out? When can we look for it? Um, November 22nd, I want to say I, for oh some my gosh, reason, that's I right keep... around the corner. Like that is, you know, this year, that is not that far away. Yeah. 
yeah and it's called the shape of lost things i always forget to the date but it's it's sometime in november <laughs> i love that the shape of lost things in the fall is what we yes. can say it's in the okay. fall of 2024 <laughs> um so everybody listening can add that to their pre-order list right now and if you haven't read the probability of everything i strongly suggest that's what you do as soon as this podcast ends. Thank you so much, Sarah, for your time, but more importantly, for the work you're doing. I feel like in 2024 and beyond, we really need it. So I'm grateful. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Reader's Heart. More information about this episode, including ways to connect with Sarah, as well as a discount code for purchasing her books through Bookalicious, are available at librarygirl.net. This podcast was created, written, and recorded by me, Jennifer Lagarde, all rights reserved. Our theme music was created by Comma Media and is available for free at Pixabay's royalty-free music repository. And the beautiful illustration for our show was created by Karina Lucan. If you enjoyed our show, I hope you'll leave us five stars at wherever you listen to podcasts. Believe it or not, this small step makes a big difference in helping the reader's heart find its audience. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. And until then, happy reading, y'all.